talk this morning is um, the glory of God's presence. Um, and that's something of what I want to speak about. But what I'm really hoping for this morning as we've been working with the worship team is we're going to create space to experience God's presence. Because it's wonderful to talk about it. And it's good that we are taught on what God's presence is. But it's more wonderful that we can actually be in his presence and experience something of what he wants to do and touch our lives. So I really hope uh, we're going to have time for some ministry and worship after our, our, our share this morning. And uh, as I was praying and just thinking of you and asking God, Lord, what's, what is it that you want to say to encourage people at Forest Town? And I really felt these words from Isaiah 40, from verse 27 to 31. And I know they're familiar, but I just felt this is a personal word that the Lord would say to each of our hearts. Maybe where it says Jacob or Israel, you could put your name. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And this is what I fear, feel God wants to say to, to us, Forest Town, this morning. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. My prayer is that as we all leave this morning, something of our strength will be renewed. Perhaps you are just weary from just the, the pace of life. Maybe the demands that are incessant around you. Maybe the struggles that you are facing just are wearing you down. This morning, I want to bring some reminders. I want to remind you of the hope that we have. When life presses in and we feel overwhelmed and weary, we have much to rejoice in. And I, I really hope that you will be encouraged this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Romans 5 from verse 1 to 5. I want to just unpack these verses and then out of that time, I'm hoping we can have some ministry and just allow God to come and do a work in us. So Romans 5 from verse 1 to 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory or boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame 
because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I'm just going to take each of those phrases from that verse, unpack them, and just this is a reminder. I know you know these things. We can read those verses and they can be familiar to us. But this morning is a reminder. Let's revisit what we build our lives on. Let's remind ourselves when we are weary, when we are going through things, why is it that we as Christians can stand firm? So the first thing is we are justified through faith. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Because you have placed your faith in Jesus, because you believed in him, you have been justified. Now we know that in theological language, justification is a legal term. It was used in the law courts. You and I have stood in the docks of the court of heaven and we've been found guilty of sin. Our sentence is death and separation from the holy presence of God. But Jesus stepped in and took our guilt and punishment upon himself when he died on the cross. We have had every accusation against us cancelled. Every pointing finger that has been at us has been struck down. Our sins have been wiped away. It's been clean. Um, There's a hypothesis that has been put forward in 2010 um, uh, by someone, just uh, forget his name now, but it's called um, reputational um, cancellation. And basically the idea is that all your reputation and the information that has been put out on you on the internet they are proposing that every 10 years it could be completely wiped clean, that you could not have any residue of the silly things you did or the things you posted that define you, but you could actually be clean. And that is, it doesn't happen yet, hopefully it will happen, but that is what happens when we come to the cross. Every silly thing, every sinful, selfish act, every thought that we have ever done or will do has been cancelled, it has been wiped away we are forgiven, we have a clean slate before God, we are justified, that's what it means, we are right with God. And Paul says in Romans 7 verse 24, understanding this, he says, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he answers his own question, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul had to face the wretchedness of his own heart, and he knew that there was nothing in himself that could recommend him to God. He knew that before God, he was deserving of the judgment of death. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we all have to face the wretchedness of our own souls, don't we? Uh, you don't have to be old, too old to, maybe as you get older, you, th- you realize how wretched you are even more. Uh, but we realize that without God, we are hopeless. We are cast adrift. 
we are in line of judgment. But thanks be to God. Maybe this morning you've never ever had opportunity to say, I, I want to ask God to come and rescue me. I want to ask God to come and justify me, wipe my slate clean, forgive me for the things that I've done. Maybe you've never had opportunity to do that. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while or you've been part of a Christian family, but you've never said that in your own heart. And even before I carry on, I'm going to pray this morning. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're saying, God, I want to be justified. I want to be made right with you. I'm just, let's all just close our eyes and I'm going to pray. And maybe just in your own heart, if that's for you, you're going to just follow. Father God, I come before you and I acknowledge that inside I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm wretched, and I'm in need of rescuing. I choose to put my faith and my hope in Jesus, who took my punishment, who took all my guilt and my shame upon himself. And instead, I choose to receive your forgiveness and the life that you give. I pray, Father, that you would take me into your kingdom and make me right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps if you prayed that prayer this morning, can I ask you to be very bold? And at the end of the meeting, won't you come and tell me or Ant? We'd just love to pray with you if that's something that you felt to pray this morning. So you and I have been justified by faith. And so what I want to unpack in these verses is some of the blessings and spoke about in that wonderful, when he preached on Psalm 67, he spoke about, Lord, bless us. When we are justified, when we stand right with God, there's some blessings that we have in our lives. And I want to remind you, you know these things. I want to remind you this morning of the blessings that we have. And so the first thing that we see in that verse one is we have peace with God. You and I have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just after that portion where Paul says, O wretched man that I am, he goes into Romans chapter 8 and he says these beautiful words. And I want to say them today with a weightiness. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, let this go into the heart of every single person here. It says in Romans 8, verse 1 to 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen. You and I, we were in a kingdom ruled by sin and death. And in that kingdom, you and I were under constant condemnation. Guilt was always on our shoulder, pointing out our failings and making us ashamed. Always. Do you remember? You just always felt bad, always felt condemned, always felt ashamed. But now 
We are in a new kingdom with a new way of being, the law of the spirit. We no longer live under any rules and regulations. Do you know that, Christians? You are not under, I mean, don't go and break the speeding limit. I'm not talking about that kind. But you're not under any rules and all the Old Testament laws, they don't apply anymore. We are not under rules. We are not under laws because we are under the law of the Holy Spirit. We listen to the Holy Spirit who has set us free from that old condemning rule-based way of thinking. You and I are free from the law of sin and death. You are free from that old master condemnation. It has no place in the Christian life. Listen to me. Condemnation has no place in your life. You should not be feeling condemned at any point. Condemnation is from the devil. And I believe we need to recognize it as such when you feel condemned. Because the devil wants to stop us living in the fullness of our salvation. So he puts legalistic bondage on us. And he, he finds ways to always make us feel bad. Christians are not meant to be walking around feeling bad all the time. That's not your father's heart for you, for me. Too many Christians are walking around feeling condemned all the time. And that is the very thing that Jesus took on the cross for you. Too many Christians going around making others feel condemned by putting expectations and rules on them. What's that? If God doesn't do that to us, then why should we go around putting that on each other? We just really haven't understood the good news of the gospel, if that's what we're living under. Our, our dear friend, Michael Eaton, who passed away, he put it like this. If we walk by the Spirit deliberately, we will fulfill the law accidentally. If we're listening to the Holy Spirit, you won't want to break the law. You won't want to break God's ways. You will want to find his heart and his ways because if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he always glorifies Jesus. He always glorifies his word. He always glorifies his ways. As soon as we focus on the law and the rules, well, we just get to be miserable because it just points out our wretchedness. A wretched man that I am. We focus on Jesus because we have peace with God. The sentence has been passed and our status before God is now perfect and nothing can take that away. Do we still keep messing up? Do we still be a little bit nasty and selfish? Yes, of course we do because we're not yet perfect. But our standing before God is no condemnation. No condemnation. If you start feeling condemned, I want you to flick that little pest off your shoulder that whispers in your ear, go away. That is not from God. You see, God convicts us when we're, doing, when we're going off his way. He convicts us and he says, come on, my child. Listen, that's not, that's not how you are. That's not what I've called you to be. But he never goes, 
you're going you're gonna to hear it from me. I'm going to punish you now. That's not God. He convicts us. He guides us. He leads us into truth and into freedom. We live under a new dispensation, which is walking by the Spirit. I think we should cheer that. Yes. Yes. It is wonderful. And I, I want to say to you, I had been saved many, many years, and uh, we had been leading this church almost 12 years when God gave me revelation of that truth. Well, once when Ant was preaching, I was, we were in Holland, and Ant was preaching, and it just went, sing, into my heart. And I can tell you now, I felt like I got saved again when I understood there is no condemnation. I have been praying that this will go from here to here in every single one of our hearts. God wants you set free. I, you know, some people say it's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. When we don't have a full revelation of the freedom of the gospel, we can still walk around like slaves when we actually we free men. The second blessing, we have peace with God. The second blessing that we have is we have access into the kingdom of grace. It says in verse 2, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So justification is a kind of a doorway giving immediate access into the realm of grace. From the moments of justification, you are forever in the kingdom of grace. We are justified by God's grace and we continue the salvation journey by God's grace. You know, God's grace wasn't just there to say, oh, you saved, now you're on your own. No, God's grace is what empowers us and enables us to continue in this journey. You know, there was, there was nothing worthy in us that God said, ah, I'm going to be right with you. There was nothing in us that made us worthy. There was no good deeds that meant that we had the inside track to some favor with God. It was his pure kindness that reached down into our broken, sinful, and wretched lives, and he made us right with our Creator and our Heavenly Father. That's it. If you've got an, inst an ounce of thinking there was something special about you, and that's why God saved you, we are no better than anyone else on this planet. It's his kindness that he has chosen you and saved you. Doesn't that make you break your heart for everyone who doesn't yet know him? It's his kindness. And if that is how we got saved, then it's also by grace that we walk out our lives in relationship with, with our God. You see, we cannot live according to God's ways by following rules and laws. And we cannot please God by relying on our own strength, our intellect, or our wisdom, or even our giftedness or ability. You see, because living in God's kingdom of grace 
is about relying entirely upon the Holy Spirit to sustain us, to guide us, to enable us in this life. In Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, it says, Therefore, Paul is speaking to them and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, once God has given us salvation, we work out what God has given us. Paul is emphasizing that they are not on their own. God is powerfully working in us, and we are called to be attentive to the task. It's not like you lie there and go, oh God, just do your work. We work with God. We work it out. And what does that mean? That means every day we talk to ourselves, not in a loony way, Every day we talk to ourselves and we say, put your hope in God. Keep your eyes up. We encourage ourselves. Every day we remind ourselves of the grace of God that is at work in our lives. We recall what we know God's will is. We rouse ourselves and we keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning. We can't give that fire but we can put away things that put that fire out. There are things in our lives that quench the Holy Spirit. Things that actually distract us from his love and his faithfulness. We can give ourselves to putting those things away. We spend time talking with God and what he's calling us to do about what he's calling us to do. We ask him to enlighten his word to our hearts, that when we read his word, it, it, it ignites something in us and, and we, we feel strangely warmed like those people on the road to Emmaus. Did our hearts not burn within us when we spoke to him? We ask him to make his word alive to us. We sing songs to his praise. When we fall down and we mess up, we get up and we keep going. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of grace because God is achieving his good purpose in us. The Holy Spirit is ready to give us extra help if we ask for it. So as we lean into the spirit of grace, we learn the ways of God's kingdom and it's about not relying on our flesh but wholly trusting in him with an awe that leaves us trembling it's not fear as in I'm afraid God's going to nail me. No, it's how awesome, how utterly magnificent that he saved me, he justified me, and now he's helping me on the way. And I get to respond to that. I get to work it out with him. It leaves us trembling that we should be partakers of such a holy calling. We have peace and we have access into his kingdom of grace. And we never leave it, by the way. And then the third thing is, and this, please, Lord, let our, let our hearts just re have revelation this morning. 
we expect to get glory. We sing a lot about glory. Uh, we say glory, hallelujah. We have all kinds of ways that we use glory or let's give God the glory. But I want us to understand something very important this morning, as it says in verse 3, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Very often in scripture, hope and glory are almost paired together. They seem to always come together because they are linked inextricably. The glory of God could be a whole sermon on its own, but it's a very vast and beautiful theme throughout scripture. There's so much through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, it's used mainly in two senses. The first when we use the word glory, it's used to describe God himself as a, a collective word to encompass all the majestic attributes of God, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness, uh, his justice, his power, to name a smattering of them. So when we talk about glory, we are actually saying the glory of God is who God is. It's, he is all glorious. It's the summation it's a, it's a word we can find in our meager use of language to somehow capture the awesome majesty of all the attributes of God, the glory of God. And the second sense is captured in the Hebrew word for glory, which is kabod. And this word stems from the root that means weight or heaviness. And this is used when there's a sense of the manifest presence of God's glory amongst his people. I don't know if you've been in meetings where you actually just feel that God's presence is so tangible. It's almost like when the Israelites, when that cloud came into the Holy of Holies in the temple, and you almost feel in, in a state of awe. God's presence manifests. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But there are times when he manifests his presence amongst his people. And I'm trusting we're going to experience some of that this morning. You see, in Exodus 35, Moses goes up Mount Sinai, and we, hear, we read about the story where he sees the manifest glory of God. And he comes down, and his face radiates from being in God's presence, in the majesty of God's glory. And so we see this is one of the Old Testament references of God's glory, God's manifest presence, but also the magnificence of who he is. And Moses stood in his presence and was able to walk, come away still living. It's, it was an amazing experience for him. But then we see in the Gospel of John, he starts with these words. He says, speaking about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus embodied the glory of God in human form. Jesus embodied the glory of God in human form. When Moses went up the mountain and he saw that God was merciful and gracious, Jesus became that in a human body. 
everything Moses heard God say to him up on that mountain became flesh in Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God in human form, in the flesh, in a body. Now, I'm going to read another verse which has the word glory in it, and um, I think it's one we know very well. But I, I just want to unpack it in a different way this morning. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, in the first sense, it means that the majestic glory of God is so beautiful and perfect that we, in our wretchedness and sin, can never even begin to match the glory, his glory. Or we cannot even begin to be worthy of being in the presence of God's glory when we are in our wretchedness and in our sin. We fall short of it. We can't, we can't be in his presence. But it also means something else, which is what I want us to really understand today. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 to 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, that's a reference to Moses, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, not only did God reveal his glory in his Son, Jesus Christ, but God has intended from the beginning that when we are justified, when we come into his kingdom of grace, that he would begin a transforming process in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says in John 17, 22, the glory that you've given me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. God is transforming us from one degree of glory to another to become like his son Jesus. God has always planned that his magnificent glory is supposed to be our glory too. Can, can you just think for a moment what I'm trying to say? If glory is the magnificent attributes of God, the beauty of who he is, and that has been made in Jesus, in flesh, we, his body, his church, he is making us the majestic glory that is him, is being made in us. Do you understand? That is our destiny as believers. That is our destiny as a church. The glory of God in us. That's what it means. And when it says we fall short of the glory of God, it means that in our sin, when we were dead to sin, we were unable to experience this transforming power of the Holy Spirit to become God's glory. We were unable because we were dead to his work in our lives. 
And this is the work of the Spirit in the heart of God's children. The Christian life is about being transformed into the image of God, into his very glory. I don't know, I've, um, I've read those passages many times and um, was only in preparing this week and I just, it's been an utter revelation to me what that glory really means. And uh, it's Colossians 1 verse 21 to 23 and 26 to 27. Uh, Paul puts it like this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. There it is again. And if you continue in your faith, established and firm, work it out, and do not move from the hope that was held out in the gospel, then the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And what is that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's why he's in your heart. Because you're going to become like him. You are going to embody the glorious majesty of God. That is our destiny. You see, when you and I got saved, God put a hope in us. A hope that must be realized. And what is that hope? The hope of the gospel. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of the gospel is that I should be like him, sharing in his glory. What kind of God is this? Majestic and awesome and holy above all things. And yet he says, I want you to share that with me. I don't sit and judge you and condemn you. I empower you by my Holy Spirit to be like me. What kind of God do we have? He is so humble in his greatness and his majesty. The hope of the gospel is that I share his glory. Before I get to heaven... I am to know more of the glory of God on earth because we're changed from one degree of glory until we are changed on that day of glorification when he comes again. You see, the Christian life, dear friends, is not about coming to church, singing some songs and listening to a sermon. And we need those. Those are grace gifts to us. But the Christian life is about day by day being transformed to be more like God. We grow from one degree of glory to another to be a fragrance of God to the world that they too may know him 
and come into his kingdom of grace. I mean, I couldn't have conceived of this plan, only God could have, that we are his fragrance, we are the image bearers of his glory to this broken and dying, wretched world. If we will work it out with him and allow him to do that as a work of his spirit in our hearts. And I just want to end with the last two blessings. And this is in verse three and four. We understand our troubles. It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. You see, because we are at peace with God and our final destination is assured, we will be glorified into the likeness of Jesus. It's, it's a done deal, guys. That's your destination. If you wondered where you're going in life, that's where you're going. How glorious is that? It does help us when we understand that. It helps with our perspective of our lives in between, from being justified to being glorified. There's a journey, there's something in between. And Jesus said, in this life, you will have many troubles, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. In between justification and glorification, you will have many troubles. Uh, put up your hand who doesn't have any troubles. <laughs> None of us. <laughs> Whatever they might be, everyone is relative to our own lives. But Paul says his words, he says, we can boast, we can rejoice, we can glory in our troubles. It's not that we enjoy our troubles, that's weird. But we can rejoice because we know what God is doing. It's that we know, it's what we know that enables us to rejoice. What do we know? We know that troubles are one of the ways that God transforms us from one degree of glory to another. You see, he uses our suffering to form Christ in us. The devil sends trouble to destroy us and rob us. That's his agenda. Don't, don't be deceived. Trouble, God doesn't send trouble. He loves you the devil, we have an enemy in this world. He sends trouble to, to destroy us. He wants to ruin our lives. But God uses that suffering to work out his good purpose in our lives. And one of the key verses that Anton and I have built our lives on is Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, and by all I mean all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all things God works for the good of those who love him. There's nothing in the economy of God that is wasted. He takes everything and he works it out for your good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, which is for you to be glorified. He works that in us. And we, what we begin to see is those amazing qualities of perseverance which is a godlike quality. We see character formed in us 
things like humility and faithfulness, which we never would have had forged except in the fires of trial, these things start to grow in our lives. And hope, you see, when life is tough, we begin to concentrate on our final reward. We live for an assured future glory. Our troubles make sense when we see the bigger picture of what God is doing, the hope we have in Christ for glory one day. And the last blessing, are you feeling blessed? The last blessing is we experience God's love. And can I ask the worship team just to come up, um, just to get ready as we speak about this. We experience God's love. And it says in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What prevents us from feeling let down by God? I've had this experience before where you feel just slightly disappointed and you think, God, I was really putting out my hope and my expectation and I feel like you've let me down. I feel like you've let me go through these difficult things that are very hard. But what does it say? It says, what stops us feeling let down by God? That when we are in the midst of the trouble, he pours his Holy Spirit in our hearts that reminds us that he loves us. He comes to strengthen us, to say, don't lose your hope. Because God is doing a marvelous, glorious work in you. And ultimately, it is his good purpose that will prevail. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I want us to just take some time. And I said that, that manifestation of God's presence, where all of, we can experience all of these things, it's when we're in his presence, in the glory of his presence, that he begins to do a transforming work in us. Our lives are so busy, aren't they? We are hurrying here and hurrying there and rushing and rushing. We are going to take some time now. Just don't worry about anything else. Can you zone out any distractions? Let's center our hearts. Let's rest ourselves. And let's just think and invite the Holy Spirit to do a work this morning. When we come into his presence, how do we do that? We come with hope and expectation. The Holy Spirit just loves it when we are expectant that he's going to be there and he's going to do something. We wait. We don't come into the Lord's presence and rush in and say, right, hurry up, Lord, I've only got five minutes. We just quiet in our hearts. We still our, our rushing spirits. We wait. And what do we wait for? We, we come in a place of receiving and we come to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I don't know what he wants to do this morning. But what I do know is he wants to minister to every single person here in the uniqueness of your situation and your life. He is omnipresent. And we are going to invite that cupboard, that weighty presence of God 
to be here this morning and to minister to our hearts. And as we listen to the Holy Spirit, we're going to respond to what he says, to what he's doing. So we're just going to be quiet and I'm going to ask um, Emma just to play some chords. Thank you. Thanks. So. just stand and we're going to just start this time with just singing come Holy Spirit and let's just invite him to be with us this morning tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. The sweetest of us, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Fill the atmosphere. Your glory. 
um, I just really feel that for some, as I was preaching, that, that sense of just feeling just a dis-ease in your spirit, where you don't have that sense of God's peace. Maybe you're feeling weighed down by accusation and condemnation. God wants to lift that off you this morning. God wants you to walk in the freedom of his Holy Spirit. I'm just going to ask the, our prayer team, would you just come and stand on this side and this side? And uh, our life group leaders, or unless you need prayer yourself, that's also fine. And then if we can have some on this side as well, um, so we can just spread out. We just don't want to have people in front of the cameras. I'm just going to ask, we're going to continue to linger in worship. But you, maybe this morning, are just saying, God, I want your peace. I want to know that freedom. I want to know that I am not under bondage anymore. And I just want to invite you just to our, our prayer team. They're not going to pray a whole lot of prayers. They're not going to prophesy. They're not going to do anything. They're just going to pray for God to come and fill you with his peace. So maybe you just want to make your way. You know, when the Lord speaks, let's respond. Let's work out the salvation. There's grace. There's grace this morning. If that's for you, just make your way. Just go and stand with the team and they'll begin to pray for you. going to linger, just waiting. Thank you, God. I just feel there's some here that have had horrible scars from things spoken over you, even when you were a child, just unkind things that have just lingered been an accusing finger in your life. And God wants to break that off you. That doesn't define you. Would you come forward? If you've had things spoken over you, it's not God's heart towards you. Come, let us pray for you. Let come and find grace this morning. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit's moving, you can just feel that little pull in your heart, just that sense that he's prompting you. Don't, don't deny it. Don't push it down. Don't worry about what other people think. You do business with God this morning. 
feel that there's some here that have just lived with a constant feeling of being disqualified, never good enough, always just never making the grade, always being the outsider. God says, I've chosen you. I've called you by name. Do business with God this morning. Let's linger. We're not rushing. As you feel that Holy Spirit drawing you, calling you, just respond. just need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. You just think, God, I can't do this on my own. I am weary to the bone. I am weary to the bone. Come, let us pray with you. Come and just receive a fresh infilling. That's it. Just come forward. Just respond. Let the Holy Spirit come and refresh you from your in your inner being right to the from the head to the toes and come and refresh you thank you god that's it we're not rushing i know some of you want to come forward just come the holy spirit is here Just also felt to pray this morning for some of the guys. I think um, there's a real pressure on men to perform as husbands and as providers and as dads. It's true for ladies as well. I understand that. But I, I do feel like there's a pressure, there's a weight on men to be something and to live up to this kind of thing that you must be the best provider the best husband the best of everything and it can be the overwhelming pressure to live under and that's not what god has for you either he wants you to be a man that loves him and as you love him he'll help you to love your family he'll help you to love your wife he'll transform you from the inside so i'd like to pray for the guys can I do that while the prayer team is um, praying I want to ask you guys to, if you identify with what I've said, just to raise your hands. Just say, God, I need you. Please help me. Father, I want to thank you for every man here. Thank you for the families that we lead. Thank you for the example that you are. I have a great Father in heaven who loves us. I want to pray for every single man in this room this morning, whether he's married or single, 
or a dad or not a dad. Jesus, we need you to help us to live courageously. And I pray your spirit would come now, refresh refresh every one of us. We might find grace for our own lives and grace to be good husbands, good brothers, good granddads, good fathers, good friends. By the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.